Today will be our final sermon in our focus series on the mission and vision of River of Grace. We've started out looking at the powerful, multidimensional love of Jesus from Ephesians. Then we focused on making disciples, which means following Jesus in the everyday stuff of life and helping others to do the same. We've talked about starting discipleship with rest. It's one of the reasons we meet on Sunday. It's the first day of the week, and we don't work because Jesus has done the work for us of taking away our sins. And then we talked about walking last week in the love of Jesus, putting on uh, vices and putting on Christ-like virtue. And today we're going to end with sharing in the love of Jesus. If we could pull up our mission statement here, would you say it with me? Our mission is to make disciples who rest, walk, and share in the love of Jesus. My life was changed in the summer of 2007 for the better when I met a man named Kevin Roach. I was on summer break. I was in high school, and I just had finished going to a boarding school for about three years, came back to Weymouth, which is this just south of Boston, um, and I didn't have a lot of local friends because I was away in New York at a boarding school, but I loved basketball, so I didn't mind shooting hoops by myself for hours on end, but eventually that got old, and someone connected me with this guy named Kevin Roach and his family. Now, Kevin is known in the South Shore, Boston area as a basketball junkie, Jesus-loving coach and teacher. Him and his wife, Linda, are truly salt of the earth Christians in that area. And from the jump, when I met Kevin and Linda and their three kids, their oldest son, Sean, uh, they invited me into their life. Sean and I played hours of basketball at the Quincy Y at the Weymouth High Outdoor Courts. They had me over for lunch to swim at their pool. I was there for sleepovers. They washed countless loads of my dirty, sweaty laundry after basketball games. We played in summer leagues together uh, after summer Summer league games, Kevin would take us out to a classic ice cream spot, and we got fraps. Now, as a dad, knowing how expensive fraps are, and I steer my kids away from them, I'm like, man, Kevin's a generous dude. Get us fraps. Uh, Later, as I got a bit older, went to college and committed to Christ, I came back. He got me a job as a summer basketball uh, counselor, and he even let me lead a devotional, and thank God it wasn't recorded. There's probably heresy left and right there. But all that to say, Kevin and Linda, Sean and the whole family invited me into their family, and I wasn't the only one. They're a super outgoing family, and their door was a revolving door just bringing kids in from stable families, unstable families, from church families like mine or unchurched kids. We were all together sharing in the life that Kevin loved to share with us. Kevin and Linda changed the course of many kids' lives in the South Shore. And we have that opportunity as a church to share the love of Jesus and change lives here in the capital and in whatever town we live in. And this morning, I want us to turn to 1 Thessalonians. And in 1 Thessalonians, it's kind of a lesser-known New Testament book, we'll see a team of missionaries and a new church plant devote themselves to sharing the love of Jesus. So let's turn there. If you go to your New Testament, I encourage you to open up your copy of God's Word. It's in the New Testament back half, past the Gospels, past Acts, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1 Thessalonians. Chapter 2, we'll start in verse 7. And as you're turning there, what we're going to see in this passage is that 
Jesus shares his love with us in order to share his love through us. Jesus shares his love with us in order to share his love through us. And we'll see through this passage our motive for sharing, our message for sharing, and finally our method for sharing. So listen in to God's word as I read from 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. We'll do 7 through 12, but the focus of our sermon will be verse 8. Although we could have been a burden as apostles, instead we were gentle among you as a nurse nurtures her own children. This is our key verse for the morning. We cared so much for you that we were pleased to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives because you had become dear to us. For you remember our labor and hardship, brothers and sisters, working night and day so that we would not burden any of you. We preached God's gospel to you. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how devotedly, righteously, and blamelessly we conducted ourselves with you believers. As you know, like a father with his own children, we encouraged, comforted, and implored each one of you to live worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray for God's help. Our Father in heaven, you've been generous with us as a kind and rich and compassionate father you've given us freely life and breath you've given us your son whom you love and your spirit to renew us i pray this morning we would see your generosity father as seen through your son and your spirit and turn around and open our arms to whoever you put in our life in jesus name we pray amen so we're going to hone in on verse 8 And we're going to consider first our motivation for sharing, which is love, our motivation for sharing. So a little bit of a backstory, because I know 1 Thessalonians is not a super popular book, but here's the short story. It was written, this is a letter to a church in a Greek city called Thessalonica. It was written by this missionary named Paul. He was a Jewish man who converted to Christianity on the road to Damascus. And he led the mission in the early church. And he would go from city to city, preach the gospel. People would believe, be changed from the inside out, and they would start new churches. So Paul went with a missionary team of Silas and Timothy, kind of mentees in the faith. And he went to this place called Thessalonica, which was the capital city of Macedonia in Greece. It was a big city filled with commerce. And so Paul... As he usually did, he would go to the Jewish synagogue on a Sabbath day, which would be a Saturday, and he went, and he was kind of like open mic, he would open up the Old Testament and prove from the Old Testament that Jesus is the promised Messiah who's going to forgive our sins and make all things new. So he's showing these Jewish people there and these Greek people who are kind of interested in this Judaism thing, and he's saying, Jesus came, died, and rose, and he is the Messiah of God. Now, you could read about this story in Acts 17, verses 1 through 10. But the result of this preaching was, it says in Acts 17, verse 4 or 5, that not a few God-fearing Greeks believed and some women believed there too. These women were probably part of the ruling class because it says there were a number of leading women. So this is the early church plant in Thessalonica. But they ran into trouble soon. Pretty soon, people at the synagogue didn't want Paul with his new gospel message there. So they ran him out of the man's house he was staying in, named Jason. And they pushed them out and persecuted them. And on went Paul. 
So Paul was there for only about three to four weeks. And he went on to another city and to another city. And now he's writing this letter to them from Corinth because he was super anxious. These were baby believers. And he's wondering, are they still loving each other? Are they still believing in Jesus? Because they're in this place where they're being persecuted. So when Paul couldn't take it any longer, he sent Timothy, his son in the faith. And he said, Timothy, I have to know how the church in Thessalonica is doing. Go take a report and bring it back to me on how they're doing. And this is what Timothy said. They are filled with faith, hope, and love. They are filled with love for Jesus and sharing that with one another and their community, even the people who are persecuting them. So this letter that Paul is writing in 1 Thessalonians is Paul's thankful, joyous response that God is keeping them in the faith and filled with love. But it begs the question, how did the church in Thessalonica thrive despite all odds. So there is persecution. Paul was kicked out prematurely. The church planter was kicked out prematurely. They were kind of a motley crew to start a church. You have some Greeks who worshiped idols. You have some Greeks who are interested in Judaism. You have some Jews. You have some leading women who are probably aristocratic women and some poorer people. So you have all this grab bag of people. How did they continue in the love of Jesus and sharing it? I think they continued because they had love modeled for them by the church planters and they connected themselves to the source of that love. Let's look at this first reason. They had love modeled by Paul and his team. If you look at 1 Thessalonians 2.8, you see the language of love all throughout. See those highlighted words. We cared. We were pleased to share. You became dear to us. If you heard in the passage that I read, Paul compares himself. Paul's a single man, and he compares himself to a nursing mother and to an encouraging father. This is the kind of care Paul is talking about. He said, we were among you, me and my missionary team, Silas and Timothy, were among you with the care of a nursing mother and the strength and encouragement of a father. There's nothing more tender than the affection of a mother towards her infant. And there's nothing more strengthening than a father who speaks life-giving words into his kids. And Paul says, we cared for you with that kind of love. Now, if we step aside for a second, this is an encouragement for all of us singles who are members here, or even marrieds who want kids, but for whatever reason can't have kids right now. Paul Jesus, his missionary team, Paul's missionary team here, were singles who fully participated in the life of the church. So you have a place here as mothers in the faith, sisters in the faith, fathers and brothers. And you are a vital part of God's family and his mission. So we see more language of love here. He said, we cared for you so much that we were pleased to share with you, not only the gospel, but our very lives. Paul didn't share out of mere obligation. He was genuinely pleased to share. He could have worked at Chick-fil-A. Last time you were there, thank you, my pleasure. After every light night spent counseling people in their brokenness, preparing to teach at the synagogue, laboring over prayer with sweat and tears for churches that he planted, he followed it up with, that was my genuine pleasure. This word pleasure is the same word we see in Matthew 317, where Jesus comes out of the water from being baptized 
And the father, a voice from heaven, shouts over Jesus. This is my son who makes me happy, who makes me well pleased. And with that fatherly pleasure, Paul says, everything we did for you, the blood, sweat, and tears, was the pleasure of a father over a son or daughter. And finally, we see the language of love. He says, you were dear to us. In the original, it says, you became beloved. We grew to love you. And so we see that love is the only lasting motivation for sharing in the love of Christ. Paul and his team weren't in it to get things from this church, but to pour their lives out and to give. And so that's the first reason the church in Thessalonica continued in love, despite all the persecution and hardship they went through. They saw love modeled for them, but they didn't only see love modeled for them. They were connected to the source of love himself. That's Jesus Christ. We could pull up that next verse. They were connected to the source of love. You could look at 1 Thessalonians 3.12. Paul is praying for the church. And he says, May the Lord cause you to increase and overflow with love for one another and for everyone, just as we do for you. If you look up at verse 11, who is the Lord he's talking about? He says, May our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. So he's saying here, the cause of love, the fountainhead of love is Jesus himself. Our love isn't anything special. We love each other and our neighbors because he first loved us. He loved us from all eternity. He loved his people and he showed his love for us in the most vivid way on the cross. When we gave him the stiff arm, he drew us in. When we were enemies, he died for us to make us friends and family. And so we see the Thessalonian church carried on the mission of love and sharing Christ's love with each other because they receive fresh love from the source each day. And so for us as a church to carry out this mission, to rest, walk, and share in the love of Jesus, we need to daily go to the fountainhead of love, Jesus himself, the source, with our empty hearts, our empty cups, and say, fill us up with your love. Before we share, we need to receive. And how do we do that? I think a beautiful place to start is that first sermon that Don kicked us off with from Ephesians 3, 14 through 21. So you could write that prayer down, Ephesians 3, 14 through 21, and make that prayer your own. Paraphrase it. Pray it back to God. In that, he's saying, Holy Spirit of God, would you strengthen us in our inner man, in our inner woman, to, be, to receive the love of Jesus that surpasses understanding in its height and depth and breadth and length. So begin to pray that you'd be filled up with the love of Christ. Another way to go to the fountainhead of love is to read a good book. And I've had few of you recommended me, recommended this book to me, Mike, Don, but this is called Delighting in the Trinity. Uh, praise the Lord, they, they renewed the cover so it's not as tacky. This is an older edition. But in this book, it talks about God as Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit as a community of self-giving love who invites us into that love. So I encourage you to pick this up Uh, to whet your appetite. I'll just read a little quote from it. This is what Reeves says. The Father sent his Son because of how he so loved him, that's Jesus, and wanted that love to be shared and enjoyed. And the Son went because he so loved his Father, And wanted that love to be shared and enjoyed. 
Hear this. The mission comes from the overflow of love, from the uncontainable enjoyment of the fellowship. So for some of you, if you're feeling pretty stale in your Christian walk and you hear this call to share, the first, the first step for you would be to receive the love of the Father and the Son and the Spirit and maybe read that book and internalize it. So in all this, how can we share Jesus' love from joyful overflow, like it says in 3.12, and not out of dreaded obligation? If we're honest, the language of sharing is often an obligation. At home, kids, you're told to share the remote with your siblings or share that toy with your sibling. On the way to the ball game, you have to share that seat on the tee with someone. You go to work and you have to share an office space with a loud eater who's just like crunching those chips super loud. You go to church and you're told to share the gospel with a neighbor who's totally uninterested in the gospel that you want to share. And so sharing is an obligation. But the Bible speaks of sharing as an overflow and not merely an obligation. We worship the triune God who shares. God, the Father, freely shared life with you. He didn't have to create us. He didn't have to create you, but he wanted to out of his love. That same Father shared his life with the, uh, with the Son and the Spirit and sent them out to save us and bring us into his family. Jesus chose to share meals with sinners and tax collectors. Everyone who the society pushed away, he chose to have meals with them. Week in and week out, Jesus chooses to share his broken body and his shed blood with us the church. And so this is the vision of sharing that we have. It's not merely an obligation, but it's a sweet overflow. And God has made us to enjoy and find joy in not only receiving, but sharing that love. And so we see that love is the motivation for our sharing. But what exactly do we share? Let's look at verse eight again for our second point here. It says, we cared so much for you that we were pleased to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives. So the missionary team shared two things, the gospel of God and their own lives. Let's look at each of these in turn. So our message for sharing is the gospel. What is this message? In many ways, it's simple, but it's really deep. You could talk about what God has done for us in many ways. You could talk about it with court or law images like justification. We're guilty of crimes before God, our creator and judge, but he takes that punishment and puts it on Jesus for us. You could talk about it in familial terms. We were uh, strangers to God. We were orphans spiritually and God the Father brought us in. There's many ways to talk about it. Here are a few ways that help me. One is one that Pastor David brought up in his sermon, but viewing the gospel through four stages or chapters in a story. So you have creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. So that's a helpful way to look at this message that they're preaching. Another way is to look at how other people have summarized it over time. Uh, If we could pull up a quote from Herman Bovink, he was a Dutch theologian. Uh, I think he was experiencing a ton of joy on the inside, even though his face doesn't show it. But he says, this is kind of his summary of the Bible story of the gospel. And this is absolutely beautiful. God the Father 
has reconciled his created but fallen world through the death of his son and renews it into a kingdom of God by his spirit. I love the Trinitarianism in there. The father is reconciling the world, humans, this planet, to himself through the death of his son. And he's reconciling, he's not only reconciling, but he's renewing it through his Holy Spirit. So that's, that's a good summary of the gospel that they're preaching. Um, so we see that the message that they're preaching is this gospel. And I want to ask two questions here. How do we share it? And what results are we looking for? So how do we share it? Part of the reason sharing the gospel is an obligation is because we don't really know it. Jesus has done something in our life. We know the effects of that. We have love for people and his Bible that we didn't have before. But we're still kind of putting together the pieces of what God has done for us in Christ. So the first step to sharing the gospel is knowing it. Um, like the summary of the four chapters in the story or Herman Bovink's summary, it also helps to find summary verses in scripture to know the gospel. Um, for my family, we chose 1 Peter 2, 24 and 25. And to help the kids, but especially me, memorize it, we made hand motions. So I encourage you to do this with whatever verse you find helpful, helpfully um, gives you a compact gospel. So what we do for this is Jesus himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, we have been healed for you were straying like sheep, but now have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. So that's the little way we try to articulate the gospel in our household because the reality is when you hear from the pulpit, when you hear from Christian leaders, share the gospel. When you're in that moment and your palms are sweaty and your voice is like shake, all shaky and you're about to share with your neighbor and your mind goes blank, a, ter- a phrase in the military comes up. Under pressure, you don't rise to the occasion. You sink to the level of your training, right? So you're expecting like, Lord, hand me the baton. Give me that gospel nugget. And you're like, oh, I haven't thought about the gospel in a few months. So one of the ways to share it is to know it, internalize it. Also, share it with Christians in your CG. The gospel is not only for the lost, it's for the found who are continually straying away from Jesus and he's calling us back with his gospel. So in your community groups, when someone confesses sin, remind them of the gospel. When someone shares suffering, remind them they have a shepherd in the gospel. And then from there, as we look to our neighbors, we see over and over in the New Testament, we share the gospel with clarity with boldness. Remember, before Paul went to Thessalonica, he was in Philippi, where he was imprisoned. And he left prison and proclaimed the gospel, the same thing that got him in prison again at Thessalonica. So he proclaims the gospel with clarity, with boldness, with prayer, dependence on the Holy Spirit. And finally, with patience and gentleness. When Paul elsewhere is speaking to Timothy, his son in the faith, He tells Timothy, these are some of his last words to him, preach the word in and out of season, but hear this, Timothy, do it with all teaching and with patience. And do you know what, Timothy, your opponents, don't blast them on Facebook, correct them with all gentleness. So this is how we're supposed to proclaim the gospel that God has given to us. Before we get to the results we're looking for in preaching the gospel, 
There's many reasons we don't open our mouths to share, right? If some of us are honest, we gave up sharing the gospel long ago because we just experienced so much fear in doing it. So we can't dive into all the obstacles to sharing the gospel. But here's one that I regularly struggle with. Sometimes I don't share the gospel because I think, what if the person I'm sharing with doesn't like it at all? And what if they're offended by it? When I think that, I'm reminded of my boy, David Larson, a really good friend. Even to this day, he's in Hawaii teaching at a seminary. But David and I, we went to seminary together, which is basically a school for pastors. Uh, we were in the same church together and in a community group. And at our community group, is similar to this. You know, we broke bread together. We shared a meal. We opened up the word. We prayed together, did fun things as a group. Uh, but one night, I think we were making guac or tacos or something like that. And David and I were like prepping it together in the kitchen. And I bust out the cilantro and start chopping it. I love cilantro. It's herbaceous. It's enlivening. It's delicious. So I start chopping it up. And he's like, ew, gross, bro. I was like, David, what's wrong with you? He says, it tastes like soap. It smells like soap and it tastes like soap. Maybe some of you are with David and you're wrong and that's okay. But I was cutting the cilantro. In that moment, I didn't take my cilantro and go home like, Livy, let's pack up the kids. We're out of here. No, I I started praying for David's taste buds to be changed. (laughs) So let's assume for the point I'm trying to make that cilantro is objectively delicious, right? Out of the overflow of my heart, I didn't just take my cilantro and go home, but I kept presenting it to David until he liked it with patience and gentleness. Now, whatever you think of cilantro, maybe some of you think it's soapy, the gospel of God is objectively true, good, and beautiful. And so when we share it with someone, sometimes it's going to be the smell like cilantro, like Paul says, the smell of life for them, and it's going to breathe life into them. For some people, like David, God bless him, it's going to smell gross. The gospel is going to be offensive to them, and they're going to push it away. But I encourage you, keep tasting and smelling of the goodness of the gospel, especially God in Christ, and offering it to your friends. And praying, depending on the Holy Spirit, praying, saying, Lord, would this start to smell good to my neighbor? Would this start to smell good to my lost family members? So this is the message we share, the gospel that is offensive to some, but is life to others. And one of the things I love about 1 Thessalonians is we see an active account of how the word of God does its work in its community. And three things happened when the gospel was preached in Thessalonica. And I say this because as we preach it, we want to know what we're looking for in our neighbors, in our kids, in our lost family. So three things. In 1 verse 9, if you're open to 1 Thessalonians, It says, they themselves report what kind of reception we had from you, how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. So the first thing they saw when the word of the gospel was preached about Jesus' life, death, resurrection for us, people turned away from idols, All those things they look for ultimate meaning in their life. All those things they worship with their time and their finances. And they turn to the living God by faith in Jesus Christ. So you want to see repentance and belief. If you look at 2 verse 13. He says, 
This is why we constantly thank God. Because when you received the word of God that you heard from us, you welcomed it, not as a human message, but as it truly is, the word of God, which is also working effectively in you who believe. So one thing you'll notice as you're sharing the gospel with lost friends or family is as God begins to work on their heart, God's voice starts to get a lot louder in their, voice, in their ears and other voices quiet down and they start to treasure God's word. They want to read the, the, the Bible. They want to hear more of the gospel. There's a hunger and a reverence for his word above all others. And finally, we see this all throughout the book of First Thessalonians. They love one another and their neighbors. That is the greatest evidence of a heart that's been one to Jesus, a genuine Christ-like love for other people who are different from you. And so this is what we're looking for as we share the gospel of God. I know for me personally, it could be really overwhelming when we talk about reaching the lost. It's kind of like this faceless, nameless multitude that you have to reach. Uh, And so sometimes we just throw in the towel and say, well, I can't reach all of them, so I'm not going to do that. That's not an option for us, not to throw in the towel. So I encourage you, one place to start is with your Who's Your One card. Uh, Don held these out when we first started the series. You could find these at the welcome table. And he laid out a prayer guide for one lost person in your life, one person who's far away from Jesus, to write their name. And it's a weekly prayer guide. It takes you Monday through Friday, specific prayers from the Bible that you could pray for a lost loved one. We're about to start a new month. I challenge you, write down a name and just pray for that one person for the month of August. All right, that's where we're headed. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, for the month of August, pray for your one person. Thank you. So our motivation for sharing is love. Our message for sharing is the gospel And finally, our method for sharing is life together. If you look in your Bible at verse 8 again, he says, We were pleased to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you had become dear to us. So Paul says, I shared the message and I shared myself, the messenger, with you. Paul knew nothing of kind of that professional distance of many pastors today. And there's a danger to both the people and the pastor when they get elevated and isolated. And maybe you've watched Netflix series on pastors who did just that. They weren't one of the sheep as well, but they got distanced and platformed. Paul knows nothing of that. Instead, Paul worked in their community He was hosted by this guy named Jason. And let's assume Jason has a family. So Jason and his wife and kids were sitting at the dinner table with Paul for about three to four weeks. They smelled him. He was kind of stinky after he was making tents all day. They heard his jokes. They cried with him after he was talking about his experience in prison. They rejoiced with him as they sang together. So he was sharing life with them. And as we see in chapter 3, verse 12, he says, Love one another and everyone. So this is a love that Paul not only shared with other Christians, not only people in his church, but people he worked with, people he sold his goods to in Thessalonica, people he met in the street and in the synagogue. This love was overflowing towards others. Now, 
as the Mexico service team goes out uh, this week, they're going to experience this life together in like the condensed milk version form. You're going to travel together. You're going to have a lot of conversations. You're going to pray together. You're going to share devotions and encouragement. You're going to receive devotions and encouragement. You're going to play soccer with little boys and girls in Mexico who might school you on the pitch. You're going to work hard together, sweat, get stinky as you make repairs. You're going to do all these things together. And in chapter 1, verse 5, Paul gives a really good summary of life together. He said, we lived among you for your benefit. That's what life together is. Living among the people God has put you in for their benefit. So what I want us to do is take inventory of what you personally have to share with those around you. Take inventory of what you have to share with those around you. Maybe you're down on yourself and you immediately think, I have nothing to share. I'm not talented enough. I don't have enough money. I don't have enough space in my home. But I think if you really sit down and think of all the things God has given you and been generous with towards you, you have a lot to share. Let's just go down the list. You have a listening ear. People love to be heard and understood. You have prayer. You can pray for people at any time. That doesn't cost anything. You have food you can share. You have clothing. You have shelter. You have words of encouragement. You have wisdom, especially if you've been walking with Jesus for a long time. You're filled with the wisdom of the Spirit. So this week, think about one thing you can share of any of the things listed for the benefit of those people in or outside of the church. Don talked about where we share, and I thought this was really helpful, so we'll pull it up here. When we talk about life together, it could seem really big and broad, but this is what we're talking about, these specific four places. So we share the love of Christ in our location, that's where you live, your vocation, where you work, that could be paid or unpaid work, your recreation, where you play, and restoration, where there's local need. Those are the four spheres of life where we share life together. And this is what Kevin Roach and his family did in the south shore of Mass. They shared in their location, Weymouth and Dorchester and Quincy. They shared in their vocation. Kevin was a math teacher at one of the local schools and a basketball coach. Linda, his wife, worked uh, as an events coordinator and worked at a local elderly community. They served in their res- recreation, basketball, till the day they die. The Roach family loves basketball. And they shared in restoration for many kids who didn't have stable homes. A really interesting thing happened to me as I got invited and welcomed in to the Roach family. <clears throat> um, I, at that point of life, I tended to be a lone wolf, spent a lot of time alone. But as I spent time with Kevin, especially Kevin, and kind of his contagious joy in welcoming other people rubbed off on me. Like all the time, kids would be joining us for pickup basketball, for summer league, for swimming at the pool, for having a turkey sandwich or PB&J at the counter. And Kevin's contagious joy got worked on me and I wanted to invite these kids in because I knew how sweet life together was. That is what God did for the missionary team in Thessalonica. He shared his love with Paul 
and Silas and Timothy, and they in turn delighted to share the gospel in their lives with the church there. And that is what God is doing through us at River of Grace. He is sharing his love in Jesus in our hearts. And so we're turning around and delighting to share with our neighbors here in the Concord area or wherever you live in a surrounding town. So River of Grace, our King Jesus is calling us to share his love. Our motivation is love. Our message is the gospel. And our method is life together. Jesus shares his love with us in order to share his love through us.